We read together Jonah's prayer, you remember. He prays in the fish's belly in chapter 2 of the book that uh, bears his name. And we took note of uh, Jonah's prayer that he literally prayed God's inspired words, amen, from five different chapters in the book of Psalms. We remember that. What a glorious thing. And really, there were so many things that we gleaned from that text, but it really taught us that our trust in the Lord is directly tethered to his words, directly tethered to what his Bible says, amen? Our prayers are not just a blind hope, just something that we willy-nilly, as I said last week, cast up, hoping that God hears them, but rather they're based upon, again, God's character, his promises, the things that he has said in his word, for sure. And so when we read and pray the if you will, the words of God. We are simply praying God's revealed will for us, amen, and the decrees that he himself has given to us. Again, as we, as we discussed last Wednesday evening, you can't go wrong when you read the inspired prayers of the men uh, that we read last week, Jonah specifically, and go wrong when you're praying for the things that God's word says, amen, because it's revealed to us. We don't have to wonder what his will is concerning these things, and so that was a uh, a glorious time. Well, tonight we are going to continue in the book of Psalms and in other portions of Holy Writ, reading together actual worded prayers that are known as imprecatory prayers. And uh, interestingly, when you study out the imprecatory prayers that we see in the scriptures and how God has designed them, as we're going to see tonight, the imprecatory prayers actually do more to you than it does to who you're praying about. It's quite a stunning thing when we consider. There's a lot of imbalance. <laughs> There's a lot of imbalance when it comes to imprecatory prayers that we find in the scriptures. And uh, so as we often say, amen, we want to have a good biblical balance concerning these things. And so tonight, Lord willing, he will show us concerning imprecatory prayers. An imprecatory prayer is one in which the inspired author can call down calamity, curses, destruction. There's a lot of things that we look in the scriptures concerning an imprecatory prayer and God's judgment upon his enemies. And so uh, we see that over and over again. In fact, there's 14, just 14 imprecatory, imprecatory psalms alone. I'll give them to you. Psalms chapter 5, chapter 10, chapter 17, verse, or chapter 35, 58, 59, just to give you a couple, 69, 70, 79, 83, 109, Psalms 137, and Psalms 140. Now, we must consider as we look at these this evening and other portions of Scripture, the purpose for them, amen? Because a lot of times when we look inside the imprecatory prayers that we see in Scripture, they are prayed, if you will, from uh, a sort of a oppressed those godly people who are being oppressed by ungodly men. It's a stunning thing to consider that when we understand what the imprecatory prayers were in Scripture. They were simply being persecuted. God's people were being persecuted and oppressed by ungodly people and ungodly uh, nations, things like that. And so tonight, I want you to see here again as we kind of understand why these are in here, why God designed them, what they do to us, amen, as we consider these imprecatory prayers. And uh, Brother Dean, I'm going to ask you if you would to have ready at your hand Psalm 55, 15 through 19, again, another imprecatory prayer that we see there. And then uh, Brother Keith, Ezekiel, if you would, 
chapter 11, 16 through 21. But let's read together this evening uh, a imprecatory, if you will, prayer of David. And uh, again, considering and understanding the context, considering and understanding what's taking place in David's life. And brother, that's always so important, isn't it? You can't just take a text and then just apply. You have to understand the context and what was taking place. And so David tells us here in Psalm 35, as he is praying, look at verse number one. And again, keeping in mind, these imprecatory prayers are in here to help us to understand that <clears throat> they were being oppressed, that they were being persecuted against, against God and against his people. And so King David says here in verse number one, plead my cause, O Lord, with them that strive with me. Fight against them that fight against me. And so again, we see here again that David is, is, again, is being, if you will, persecuted. And so he's praying for God's help. Amen. Now, brother, can there be anything more relevant for us today than to pray for God's help? I mean, you think about what we are going through, what the true believers, amen, <clears throat> are experiencing right now and are going to, I think, experience the heavy hand of our, of our holy government. It's a stunning thing. So what do we do, brother? We pray like David did. Lord, uh, Stand up for our cause, amen. Stand up for truth and righteousness and goodness as we are your people. And so Psalms 35, look at verse 2. Take hold of shield and buckler and stand up for mine help. Draw also the spear and stop the way against them that persecute me. Say unto my soul, I am thy salvation. Let them be confronted and put to shame that seek after my soul. Let them be turned back and brought to confusion that de devised my hurt. So again, David is asking for the enemies to be brought to derivative. I mean, that's what I want. I want this unholy nonsense. These people who are leading this unholy, ungodly diatribe with churches involved in it. I want God to bring them to derision. Amen? That's what we want. We want confusion. We want derision. And most of all, as we see here, again, <clears throat> as we're going to see, these prayers were not written. They were not prayed with any kind of vengeance, personal vengeance. See, that's my problem. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I struggle with that. I struggle with vengeance. I want God to just, just to do that. And then I think about my own self before I was saved. Think if God would have exacted his vengeance upon you uh, and not been patient with you and kind to you and long-suffering, if he would have exacted his vengeance. Of course, you know, he, he chose you from eternity, but we understand his grace, his Mercy, and that's what the, that's what these imprecatory prayers are really going. One of the things that are going to bring out in our own souls is understanding God's long suffering, His kindness. There, He says, there, if you will, in verse five, let them be as the chaff before the wind, and let the angel of the Lord chase them. Let their way be dark and slippery. Amen. That's a good prayer. Let the liberals, those God haters, let their ways be dark and slippery, because you know where it takes it. It takes them right down into the sewer where. Is it precisely where we are going, brother? Let the way be dark, slippery. Let the angel of the Lord persecute them. Again, this is an imprecatory prayer that David, under the inspiration of God, wrote and sang. Okay, he's singing this, brother. And this is, again, you have to remember the Psalms in the book of Psalms that the people of God sang as they were oppressed and persecuted. So David's simply asking for God's protection, asking God to stand up for him, to stand up for the cause, amen, and may he make the, the wicked, may their ways be dark and slippery, amen. That's what I pray. That, that's, a, that's a prayer we can pray, amen, and know that it is God's will, that he will indeed deal 
such nonsense. Look at Psalms 55, Brother Dean, if you would there, 15 through 19. Listen to how the, another, again, this is another imprecatory psalm. And you listen carefully to the language and how he draws their wickedness. He says the wickedness is in their dwellings. It's all amongst them. Brother Dean, if you would. So again, here's David, another imprecatory prayer. What's the context of the prayer? Uh, if you if you go and read there, of course, you know he's being hunted down, and uh, he's simply asking God. He says, "Well, he actually prays for them to go to hell. <laughs> he prays that their soul will go to hell, and uh, he's he's asking for God's protection against Saul and against what's taking place. Uh, these bloodthirsty uh, devils that were out to get him. And so he's simply asking God again for his help." his protection. He says, I'm going to call on God. Let the wickedness that is around them and surrounds them be with them. Amen? And so there's a purpose to all of this. And so, and I especially like what Ezekiel has to say here. Brother Keith will read that for us. And this is one of the things, again, another thing that we pray, brother, that all of this wickedness and all of this nonsense that they are bringing against the true people of God in America, which they are, okay, that the very things that they want, the very things that they are implementing, the, 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 the wickedness that they're implementing and wanting everyone else to live under, brother, we would pray that as Ezekiel, as Ezekiel tells us here, what God is going to do, there's nothing like praying that God will bring their own wickedness down on top of their heads. This is what we pray. This, again, is another great prayer, if you would, there, Keith. Therefore say, thus saith the Lord God, So what do we see here? We say a distinguishing mark between those whom God will give the heart of flesh, those who will indeed repent, those who will indeed follow God's teachings. And then he says, those who don't, those who follow after their abominations and follow after those things. He says, I'm going to bring that right down on top of their own heads. Amen. I want you to think about something for a moment. This is crazy, brother. Just again, likening it to our, the, the time that we live. I just saw an, uh, an article. Now, these Congress people voted to defund the cops. They voted to defund the police departments, get rid of the cops, we don't need the cops. And then some of the very people 
And again, this is what we pray. Some of the very people who voted to defund all the police departments to get rid of them in Philadelphia and Chicago and everywhere else. They're getting carjacked in their own cities, the things that they voted for. God is bringing this nonsense down upon their own heads. It's a stunning thing. It, what do we call that, brother? Poetic justice? That's God's justice when a reprobate will do something like that and then think that the, the crime is going to go down. We're going to get rid of the get rid of the law and order, which is one of the things that God put in place, brother. The family, the church, law and order, I mean, to protect us. And they're tearing it down, and God's just bringing it down on top of their own heads. This insane nonsense. And this is exactly what Ezekiel's brother Keith just read. Those who continue in those abominable things, God will bring it down on their own heads. And this is what we're seeing, amen? I mean, it's a stunning thing. Think about this for a moment. Stop punishing theft and thievery. <laughs> Again, this is law and order, brother. And <clears throat> what happens? Well, Walmart, which is the biggest retailer in the country by far. It, have you heard this? Have you seen this? You know where they're closing all their stores? Portland, Chicago, these big cities where law and order's been done away with. You know why? Because the thievery and the theft has just exploded. And then the mayor has the audacity to stand there and blame Walmart. You're leaving our people with nothing. You voted for nothing. It's insanity, brother. But this is the Lord. This is why when we follow the dictates of the Bible that keeps us in order, this is why good things will come to those who trust in the Lord. This is what David's praying. He's praying in his repertory for God's protection, for him to stand up for him, and then to deal with his enemies, to bring this stuff down on top of their own head. Stop hating, right? We're told. Now, brother, I could go on and on. Just a couple of examples. Stop hating by distinguishing between a man and a woman. I mean, you people are insane. And so what happens? Oh, we're going to love everybody. Yes, I, I think, you know, that this woman who, you know, this man who wants to be a woman. Did you hear in Montana what they just did? Have you seen that? They actually just reprimanded this reprobate. I mean, it is stunning to see that, right? She stands up and she says, when you pray tonight, I hope there's blood all over your head. I mean, she is an evil thing. In the old, the old, what's that, Brother Mark? He, he, he is an, yes, thank you. He is an evil thing. And the Lord is going to bring this down upon their own heads. Because you know what's happening now, again, out in the liberal, north, out in the northeast, right? They're all about making sure that these, these men who look like women can, can compete. They can compete in the women's, in the women's, you know, sports. And all of a sudden, you know what's happening? The very people who were for it now are against it. You know why? Because amazingly, God made men and women differently. That's why there's, well, Friday, Lord willing, Isaac and I, we're not playing from the women's tee box, okay? We're not doing that. Men don't do that. Women play from the tee box, men play from the men's, which is way back here. Because in general, a man hits the golf ball a lot farther than a woman does. Amazing, isn't it? I mean, even people who invented golf know that. It's a stunning thing. 
But this is what we see. It goes on and on and on. There's so many things. Now, again, keeping in mind that these prayers were not written and sung out of vindictiveness or personal vengeance. They are designed by God to keep his perfect justice, his holiness, his abhorrence of evil, how much God hates evil, in the forefront of our minds. You understand, that's one of the things that these things are designed to do, to look and say God hates that. And we should be followers of Christ. We should be followers of God. We should obey God's law. Because this is what happens. He hates evil. He abhors it. And so these imprecatory prayers are designed for you and I to see that and to learn a lesson and go, well, wait a minute. It's a good thing for us to see the holiness of God. Praying imprecatory prayers allows us also to see God's grace and mercy. This is the beautiful thing about him, too, as well. There's many things, but just a few. That he so lovingly poured out upon his undeserving people. This is one of the things that you see. In fact, people think, again, there's this imbalance that these imprecatory prayers were only prayed in the Old Testament. Oh, no, my brother, sister, no. There's imprecatory prayers that are quoted in the New Testament. Paul prays a couple of them. Okay, this isn't just... Well, that's the God of the Old Testament. He was evil. He was mean. He didn't like people very much. And so, you know, they would pray that he would do this. No, God has not changed. He's not mean. He's not evil. He's perfect. He's perfect in his justice, perfect in his judgment. And we see that. Turn, if you would, if you would for just a moment, to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 11. Again, what does the imprecatory prayer do for us? There's so many things, but we don't have time tonight. We, we've got to... We've just got to lay kind of a foundation here. Now, what David does here, again, is we, as, as Jonah did, Jonah prayed the prayers that we found where? In the book of Psalms. This is what Paul does. He simply quotes the imprecatory prayer in Psalms. This is what he does here in, Re in Romans chapter 11. Look there if you would. Look at verse number 17. Romans chapter 11, verse number 17. Look there with the Bible. Or no, I'm sorry. Verse 9, verse number 9. Chapter 11, verse number 9. Look there. The Bible says, and, and David saith. So he's writing out the imprecatory Psalms 69, 22 and 23. This is what he's saying. David saith. Well, where did David say it? Psalm 69. Look what it says. Let their table be made a snare and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened, that they may not see, and bow down their back always. Who's he talking about? He's talking about what God is doing to the nation of Israel at this current time. Why is God doing that? Again, this imprecatory quote that, 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 that Paul writes, or that Tertullus writes down for him. He's quoting from an imprecatory psalm. He's saying, this is what God's doing. He's working out his glorious work. But the eyes here, why is that? Again, what does that do for us? When we read an imprecatory prayer like that, understanding that God is sovereign over the salvation of every soul, what does that do to us? It causes us to be very grateful and thankful and just honor him for what he's done. Because look what Paul says as he continues there. If I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid that rather through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles, for to provoke them to jealousy. 
For now, for if now the fall of them be the riches of the world, and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more are their fullness? What does that cause us to do? He quotes an imprecatory psalm, and it causes you and I then to read on, and it's like, yes, we understand and we see the glory and graciousness and mercy of God and the salvation of all. Isn't that a beautiful thing, what they actually can do to us? We're always reading them and pointing the finger out that way. When in actuality, these imprecatory prayers are designed also for the people of God to see these things and to, to understand these things. It's a glorious and beautiful thing. Now, praying the imprecatory prayer teaches us to wholly trust in God rather than listen as we live our godly lives in a most ungodly and perverse generation. Again, brethren, what does this bring to our mind? How practical is this? How good is this for us to, to read and grasp and get a hold of this? Look at Roman, or Romans chapter 12. We're right there again. Paul does it again. Again, this is not Old Testament stuff. This is simply stuff that he prays here in the New Testament. And look at here at Romans chapter 12. Look at verse number 17. Look there if you would. Recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lie within you, be, live peaceable with all men. So, in other words, Paul is calling the Christian to a high call. He's calling us to live peaceably if we can amongst all men. But then look what he says. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it, is, for it is written. Where is it written? Well, it's Psalms 94. In fact, uh, who do I got over here? Brother Jeter hasn't read the passage. Look at Psalms 94. If you look that up, verses 1 through 3. So it is written. It's written where? In the book of Psalms. Again, God's inspired imprecatory prayers that are written. And listen to what he says. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written... Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. So you think about who our battle is really against, brother. And brother Keith, I hate to keep using you as an example, but you're kind of a good example. And we see it a lot. You have people in the flesh coming against you. But in all actuality, where are they coming from? Who's actually guiding them and directing them? It is the spirit of the evil one. And so we see this and understand this. But again, what does Paul say? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. In fact, in Psalms 94, you're going to see what we would call a double declaration. Not only does the psalmist say it once, he says it twice. Again, the idea of turning these things over to God and allowing him and his timing to bring vengeance and judgment and these things. He's not saying not to pray for that, but he's saying turn it over to God and let him do it because he's perfect and right and good. So look at Psalm 94 there again, if you would, verses 1 through 3. O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongeth, O God, to whom vengeance belongeth, show thyself, lift up thyself, thou judge of the earth, and their reward is proud. Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked find? Yeah, you hear those double declarations in there, don't you? It's amazing. Oh, how long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord? That's, that's one of them, right? And the other one is what? Vengeance belongeth unto God. Vengeance belongeth unto God. And so again, 
what we do is we, we pray for God's help. We pray for his guidance, for his direction, for his drawing, for all of those things as we're living in this unbelievably perverse generation. But we leave the vengeance up to who? Up to God. Now, uh, <clears throat> I don't use this as an excuse, and people kind of who know me, I'm a German. And so I have to fight my German tendencies and my growing up tendencies. These are things that you pray for, right? That the Spirit of God will take these things away from you. Because when I look at things like that, I want to exact vengeance immediately. And yet the Lord says, vengeance belongs unto me. Unto me. Vengeance belongeth unto me. And so as we learn these and we struggle through these things and walk through them, it is a stunning thing. Finally, this evening as we finish up, praying and preparatory prayers leads us to the cross and literally to the love of God who forgives his enemies. Think about that for a moment. These imprecatory prayers cause us to consider the love of God. It takes us right to the cross where Jesus himself uttered what? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Not only that, Mark, if you have your Bible there, John chapter 15, look at verse number 25. If you turn there, now the Lord Jesus himself quotes from the preparatory prayer. This is what he did here in John chapter 15. Again, Paul's quoting them. Jesus is quoting them. He's using them. And again, for his glorious purposes, for his people, for us to get a hold of some things. And then, uh, let's see, Isaac, Psalms 69, verse 4. Now again, this is Jesus speaking in John chapter 15. He's quoting Psalms 69, verse number 4. And I want you to listen to the language that he uses. Again, as he quotes. John 15, verse 25. What is he saying? He's fulfilling one of the things that are stated in the preparatory praise of Saul. And that is what? That they hated me without a cause. And we understand the hatred they had. Okay? We understand that. I understand the hatred I had for the Lord Jesus until he saved me. Now I know where, you know, it's maybe it's just me. But I remember using his name in a most unholy way as often as I could. The Lord changed that. That was one of the things I told him. That's one of the things he took away from me immediately. I mean, I used that word like it was in the sewer, in the gutter, his name. Putting expletives in between it. And without a thought. So I was God's enemy. Now, again, what does this imprecatory prayer do for us? It draws us to the cross. It helps us understand God's forgiveness of his enemies. We could quote Romans 5. Right? Well, we were yet his what? Enemies. Christ died for us. So this is what it does. It brings compassion. It should bring compassion again towards those who are coming against us. Because again, where's the source of those who are coming against us? It's the spiritual what? It's the spiritual battle in high places. When the naggy woman comes to the, comes to the book meeting, and goes after Keith. It's not her. It is, but it's not her. It's who's generating the power in her. And therefore, all you can do, I, I'm sorry, Keith, 
I laugh a lot when I watch that because it's funny to a degree, and yet it's very sad because it's so unholy. But the source is an enemy. And then Jesus quotes here, they hated me without a cause. Now, no one's ever hated anybody like the world hated Christ. They haven't. But then we hear these beautiful words. Look at Psalms, the one he quoted from. Psalms 69, look at verse number 4. quotes the first half of that verse. Those who hated me more than what the, the hairs on my head. And then he says, but I restored that which I took not away. That is a direct uh, connection, if you will, a direct prophecy concerning the cross. You remember what happened to Adam and Eve? They disobeyed God. Out they went. They were kept out of the garden. They were, they were uh, kept from the tree of the life, of, of the good, good and knowledge, the tree of life. They were kept from that. And when Christ came, he died for his enemies. And again, I like what Bonhoeffer says about that. He says this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, In this way, the crucified Jesus teaches us to pray the imprecatory psalms correctly. Understanding and knowing that God teaches us through these imprecatory prayers. Amen. Causes one to have compassion upon their enemies. It's a stunning thing. <laughs> Jesus himself, right? Pray for your enemies. Amen? It's a stunning thing. There's not a contradiction. There's not a, a if you will, any kind of an antithesis in any of that. It is what the Christian should do. Amen? We should pray as Jesus directed us for our enemies. Even though, for me, it's one of the hardest things is for me to do. Again, that's why going over this thing, studying these things, as we pray, as you guys pray daily, like I do, you pray daily for your family, you pray daily for the lost, you pray daily for your enemies. Even though I, 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 I have to admit I don't do that much. But it does, it does bring something out of my own heart, doesn't it? And it takes me back again to the cross. Now, one more thing, and then Brother Dean will come and pray. We find in Galatians, again, another imprecatory prayer of Paul. And this teaches us, brethren, the indispensable necessity of the true gospel. As we look at this, as we finish and close with this. Look at Galatians chapter 1 again. People saying that, well, that was the Old Testament. Well, no, it's the New Testament. Paul did it on several occasions. 1 Corinthians, I mean, the end, go, go look at 1 Corinthians 16, the end of that letter. That's an imprecatory statement made by Paul. And we find another one here again, but this is what they do. They teach us, this one particularly teaches us the indispensable necessity of the true gospel. Look what Paul says there in verse number six. Again, this isn't anything new. We've read this a thousand times. The Bible says, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Which is not another, but there will be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Then he says in verse 8, now again, we have another double declaration. Paul, you know, the Bible is full of these things. If you look closely at the text, these double declarations, which means that not, we're not only saying it once, we're saying it twice. 
so that God's people understand the importance of what he is saying. Look at what he says. He says there in verse 8, But though or we, uh, we or an angel from heaven preach uh, any other gospel unto you than that which you have preached unto you, we have preached unto you, let it be what? Accursed. That's the definition of a precatory prayer. That's a precatory statement. Let those who preach another gospel be accursed, literally damned to hellfire. That's what that means. That's a, that's a bold, bold statement to make. But he doesn't make it once, he makes it twice. Look at verse 9. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be now again, brethren, as we bring this to a close, there are there's so many things. Let me just close with a just a closing practical point here. Praying these imprecatory prayers, as we have seen, as you study them out, do way more to us than we might realize, than we might consider. We've looked at some tonight, drawing us to cross, making us, if you will, more compassionate towards. But let me say this. We should first pray them against our own sinful natures, which is what we would call self-imprecation. We should pray something like this, like Romans 8 says. Amen? Putting the flesh, literally, it's an amazing thing, asking the Spirit, God, Spirit of God to carry on his war against the flesh within us until all that opposes God is defeated. It should start with us. There's a lot of things that start with, with the family of God, the children of God. Judgment, there's all kinds of things. Praying, and so it is with imprecatory prayers. We should examine them to our own hearts and ask the Spirit of God to strip away those things that are opposed, that were opposed to God. Secondly, brethren, and this is true as well, we should pray them against the worldly systems and the corruption and oppression of God's people brought on by the spiritual forces of wickedness. That's where our battle lies. It's a stunning thing. What does this do then? Well, it softens our hearts toward our fleshly enemies. It softens our hearts towards our fleshly enemies so that we will have compassion on them and their eternal destiny. We know where they're going without practice. So that's, uh, again, in a nutshell, so many things that the imprecatory prayers that we find in the Bible do for us. And as we trust in the Lord, as we pray these things according to his good will, we find them written for all of eternity for you and I to practice and participate.